And our text this morning is Ephesians chapter 2. So if you would, stand with me and turn to Ephesians chapter 2. And I would like to read the verses first before we uh, expound on them. So if you would stand with me, if you're able to, I'm going to read out of the New American Standard, Ephesians chapter 2, starting in verse 1. It says, And you were dead in your trespasses and sins, in which you formerly walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, of the spirit that is now working in the sons of disobedience. Among them, we too all formerly lived in the lusts of our flesh, indulging in the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, even as the rest. But God, being rich in mercy because of his great love, with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our transgressions, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved, and raised up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in the ages to come he might show the surpassing riches of his grace and kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not as a result of work, so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand, so that we would walk in them. Lord, would you just bless the reading of your word this morning, and as we go through it, teach us what you want us to know in Jesus' name. Amen. So... Um, This Sunday, of course, being our last Sunday here, I, I really kind of asked Pastor Michael if it would be okay if I would teach, and I think the reason was twofold. One, because I love to teach, and two, because I felt I could hold it together better if I could stay focused on a message this morning. So I'm, I'm excited to be up here. And, and as I was thinking about what we were going to share this morning uh, in Ephesians 2, it really stemmed out of uh, last month when uh, Sean and I were able to go to the Silver Saints and share with them. And I said, you know, I want to read to you some scripture because uh, it's, it's a scripture that Paul wrote to the church of Ephesus and what he was expressing in his prayer for them. And, and this is our desire for living truth as we move forward, as we move on. Our desire for living truth and the people of living truth that we have been so blessed to be with. Now, I hope I make it through. I couldn't. I had to have my wife finish this, so sweetie, be ready. Okay? But Ephesians chapter 1, starting in verse 15, and you can flip back there real quick. Paul says this to the Ephesians. He says, For this reason, because I have heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love toward all the saints, I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers. That the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom, revelation in the knowledge of him, and having the eyes of your hearts enlightened, that you may know what is the hope to which he has called you, and what are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints, and what is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe. And so um, this just is expressing the way I feel about living truth. And then Paul 
is going to go on and teach about what this is all about in chapter 2. And it's interesting because he starts off, he reminds them, he begins this teaching by reminding them of their past, who and what they were before coming to Christ. Now, it's interesting, why would Paul do that? I mean, after all, isn't Paul the one who said, we are new creations in Christ, the old has passed. And the new has come. If you were saying, didn't Paul say that? Well, he certainly did in 2 Corinthians 5.17. And Paul, didn't he also say that he forgets what lies behind and presses on to what lies ahead? And if you were thinking that, you would be right again. He said that in Philippians chapter 3, verse 13. So why then does he want to remind these Ephesians about their past? And why should we spend time thinking about our past, what we were before we came to Christ? And does it seem like this doesn't fit together, that we forget what lies behind, but yet we are being reminded of what we were? And I think there's a very important principle that we should all learn out of this. You see, there's a difference between knowing and being reminded of what we once were and continually dwelling on what we once were. Can I say that again? There's a big difference between knowing and being reminded sometimes of what we once were and continually dwelling on what we once were. See, if we continually dwell on what we once were, see if you can relate to this. I, I think if you think about it, it tends to keep us paralyzed. Doesn't it? When we're always thinking about what we once were before we came to Christ. And, and, and if we're paralyzed by that, if we're paralyzed by the way we see ourselves before we came to Christ, then we're not able to really fulfill God's calling on our life because we're just so caught up in our own unworthiness. You know, how many times have you said this to yourself? How could God possibly use someone like me because I have sinned so greatly? I know I've said that to myself. And that's not really what the Lord wants. He doesn't want us to stay in that, that state of self-condemnation. And really, of all people, Paul understood this. I mean, in his past, he persecuted the church. That would certainly disqualify him for any service if it hadn't been for God's grace in his life. But he knew if he lived in the past, he couldn't fulfill what God had for his future. So then why does he bring it up at all? Well, I think the second half of the principle is this. If we completely forget what we were before we came to Jesus, there's a different tendency. Maybe we were not paralyzed, but I think if we never think about who and what we were, we tend to become self-righteous. We tend to become legalistic and dare I even say it, we become pharisaical. And you know what that means. Remember how Jesus spoke to the Pharisees and said, you know, you guys, you put burdens on everybody else that you can't even keep yourself. And then they look down on the other people because they're not keeping those burdens that were laid upon them. And I think when we forget what we once were, that we can really tend to be that way. We can tend to do that. Think about it in your own life, you know, when when your things are going well and you really haven't thought about, you know, God's grace and you are where you are because of his grace, how easy it is to get critical of other people. 
you know, we can ignore the giant logs that are in our own eye while we're trying to remove that tiny speck from someone else's eye. And then we can even forget that it was God who changed us. If, if we're any different than we were before, it was his work in our life. It was the Holy Spirit molding and shaping and changing us. It wasn't by our own self-efforts. So it's good sometimes to be reminded of who we were before we became Christians without spending all our time constantly dwelling on that fact. I've heard people say two things. One, I've heard people say, you shouldn't call yourself a sinner anymore. You're a saint. So don't keep calling yourself a sinner because a lot of us always have that saying, I'm just a sinner saved by grace, right? So you have both ends of that. Both of those things are true. You are a saint. But guess what? You're still a sinner. So let's just leave that balance there. So let's look at the first three verses of chapter 2, and we're going to get reminded a little bit along with the Ephesians here. This is what Paul says. He says, And you were dead in the trespasses and sins. And he says in verse 2, Following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience. And in verse 3, he says, Among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and mind. This is what you once were. And everyone in here who is a believer in Christ, this is what you once were. So he starts off and he says, we were dead. Now look, this is not like the princess bride. You know, you were mostly dead. No. You were 100% fully dead in your sin and your trespass. Now it's important to know that there are actually three types. I think oftentimes we think there's two types of death, physical and spiritual. There's actually three. One, of course, is physical death. What is that? Well, that's when our soul and our spirit depart from this current tent that we live into. And it's sometimes referred to in the Bible as sleep. You'll see that oftentimes if you want to look it up. Matthew 9.24 and Matthew 27.52. You'll find that that's the term that's used that, that really is speaking of death. But then there's another type of death, and that's the final death. 2 Thessalonians 1.9 says, These will pay the penalty of eternal destruction away from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of his power. That's that final death. And, and we're, we learn about that in the book of Revelation. It talks about unbelievers being cast into outer darkness and at that point in time are eternally separated from God. But the third type, and I think that's what we're speaking about here, this third type, and we call that spiritual death. And what does that mean? Well, it really means that we have no relationship with God. No, none. You were 100% dead. You do not have a relationship with God before you come to Christ. You may think you do, but you don't. And there's a lot of people walking around today who are non-believers in Christ, and they think, and you hear them even say, uh, their relationship with God. No, you are spiritually dead. Why? Because of your disobedience and your sin. And until you accept Christ, that hasn't been uh, the, the, applied to you. It's been paid for, but it hasn't yet been applied to you. Now look, some of our disobedience, 
before we became Christians was unintentional. And that's why you get two different words here. You've probably heard this before. The word sin in Greek, there is hamartia. It means failure to hit the mark. Whatever you were aiming at, you didn't, you didn't hit it. But also, before we came to Christ, we intentionally disobeyed. Most of us knew, maybe even if you hadn't known much about God, you'd probably heard the Ten Commandments, so you knew you broke some of those. And even if you hadn't heard that, deep in your heart, you know that you aren't doing things the right way. Sometimes intentionally. And even as a Christian, sometimes don't we intentionally disobey God? Where God tells us, I want you to do this, and you go, nope, not doing it. That word in Greek is paraptoma. Now, before we accepted Christ, even if we may not have realized it, in these verses, it teaches us something really important. It says that before we came to Christ, we allowed, and if you look back in those verses, you'll see it, we allowed our body and our disobedient mind, which, and catch this, this is so important, I don't want anybody to miss this. You allowed your body, your disobedient mind, which has been empowered by Satan. Satan is the prince of the power of the air. It tells us right there in those verses, that mind and that body are empowered by Satan. And we allow that to rule our behavior. So just kind of think about this. Have you ever looked back at your life and thought, how in the world did I ever think that? Or how in the world did I ever do that? Have you ever done that before? I certainly have. I'm like, oh, what was I thinking when I said this? What was I thinking when I did this? I don't know how I could have done that. Well, it's simple. Because you were ruled by your flesh nature. And I want you to, again, catch this. When you're ruled by your flesh and a disobedient mind, it makes the suggestions of Satan and his demonic messengers seem reasonable. It makes his messages to you seem like a reasonable thing to think or a reasonable thing to do. And if you look again in verse 2, you see it says that that same spirit, what was working in you before, is at work in non-believers today as well. And we must get a hold of this truth, believers in Christ, because we need to understand why it is that people who don't believe in Jesus can think and act the way they do. Sometimes we place this thing on them where we're saying, well, they should act this way and they should act that way. They don't. Why? Because just like you were before you came to Christ, their sinful nature is controlling them and the suggestions of the enemy seem reasonable to them. How could any reasonable person look at a baby in the womb with all the technology we have today to see all the growth, or even after the baby is born, say, this is not a baby. How could that be reasonable? We look and we say, that's unreasonable. Of course it is. But their mind and their body and their desires are controlled by the enemy. And that's why they can think that way. See, they're without God. They have no relationship with God. Now, you might think, okay, that, that's fine. But even when I was a non-believer, I wasn't that evil. 
I wasn't. How many times have you heard say, you know, you're trying to witness to somebody and they're, they're giving you their self-righteousness and you say, well, have you ever broken any of the Ten Commandments? Well, I never killed anybody. You ever notice how they always go right to, to that one? It's like they don't talk about lying or stealing or coveting. They just go, no, I never killed anybody. Okay, well, that's one out of ten. All right? And the truth is, Jesus said, if you hate somebody in your heart, you've killed them, so you already did break that one. But you think, no, I wasn't that bad. I wasn't that evil. Well, maybe. But have you ever thought about where you would be today if Christ hadn't come into your life? Have you ever thought about that? Where would I be today if Christ hadn't come into my life? And, you know, really, you don't have any idea how depraved you might become. I mean, even if you were fairly moral in your behavior, guess what? Your sin was still great enough, the scripture says here, to earn God's wrath. Whatever sin it was. Look at the end of verse 3. He says that we were by nature, by nature, children of wrath, just like the rest of mankind. Now, what does this mean, children of wrath? Well, it means like the same as any other person if you haven't accepted Christ. You haven't been justified by his blood. And if that's the case, then you will not be uh, exempt from God's righteous judgment, righteous judgment of his anger towards us, his wrath, which is eternal separation. And the Bible says eternal torment. We were by nature children of wrath until Christ came into our life. So if you're a believer in Jesus today, that was your past. Let's not sugarcoat it. Let's not say I wasn't that bad. Let's be honest and say, I deserve death. That's the just punishment for my sin. Okay, enough of the bad news. Time for the good news. Let's see what Paul has to say to us as to the Ephesians about what our present condition is. Let's start in verse 4. He says this, But God being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. Made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved and raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. So we were dead spiritually, but God has made us alive. What that means is that now we can have a relationship with the God who created us. It means that now we can begin to know him, as, as Paul said in chapter 1, that we might know him. So we can begin to know him, and we can get, begin to understand his word, which we couldn't do before we came to Christ. We can understand his word. We can understand, I don't know if this term is correct, but the things of the spirit, how the spirit works in our life. That was impossible before Christ came into your life. Now, we know that. Would you turn over with me quickly to 1 Corinthians chapter 2? Pastor Michael has already taught us on this. 1 Corinthians chapter 2, starting in verse 12. He says, Now we have received not the spirit of the world, but the spirit who is from God. Remember before we read, we had the spirit of the world in us. But we have received the spirit who is from God, that we may know the things freely given to us by God. We may know the things which we also speak, not in words taught by human wisdom, but in those taught by the Spirit, 
combining spiritual thoughts with spiritual words. And, of course, verse 14, a very, very famous verse, and we should all have this in our memory. Verse 14, but a natural man, that's a man without Christ, a natural man does not accept the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness to him. And he cannot understand them because they are spiritually appraised. But we now have the Spirit of God. And the Spirit of God will show us and lead us and guide us in to truth. And now we can come to God in prayer, seeking His will and the power to do His will. Hebrews 4.16 says, Let us therefore come boldly to the throne of grace, that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. So our present condition is completely different than it was before. Now we can understand the things of God that we could never understand before. Now we can come to God in prayer. What else do we see about our present condition here? Well, verse 6 tells us, and this is interesting, that we're presently raised up with Jesus and seated in the heavenly places. Now you're going, wait, is that present? I don't feel like I'm seated in the heavenly places. Especially when I'm on the 91 freeway. That doesn't seem like the heavenly place right there. Well, I think it's obvious here that Paul is not speaking about physical presence right here. But what he is telling us, and this is an important principle, a doctrine for us to know, is that positionally, positionally, we are already raised from the dead and seated in the heavenly places. Do you understand that? That's your position in Christ. You have been raised up and you are seated in the heavenly places. We have already started our new life. We are in an eternal life. That's why Jesus said, if you live and believe in me, you will never die. Yeah, you'll die physically, but you won't have a spiritual death. You've already begun your eternal life. You're in your eternal life now. That life that was promised to us. And the thing is, because we're in that eternal life, we need to think and act accordingly. Don't act as though you aren't in your eternal life. Think in eternal terms. Act in eternal terms, not just temporal terms. We get so caught up in the things of this world instead of the things of eternity. But you're already raised up and seated in the heavenly places. Colossians 3, 1 and 2, reading from the ESV here. Colossians 3, 1 and 2. He says this, If you have been raised up with Christ, and you have, seek the things that are above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on the things that are above, not the things that are on earth. This is our present condition. This is our present state. And we need to think and act accordingly. And as verse 5 tells us here, you know, God did this for us even when we were dead in our sin. And I want you to hear this one as well. And if you're taking notes, I hope that you would write this down. This is an important doctrine, an important teaching to understand in the Christian faith. You were not seeking God when you came to Christ. Now, some of you, you're saying, yeah, that's for sure. Maybe you had a conversion experience like Paul where God just, bam, knocked you off your donkey. Some of you, though, may say, no, I was really seeking God. Well, 
You may think that you were, but you weren't. How do I know that? Well, Romans 3 tells us that. Romans 3.11 says, No one understands and no one seeks God. When we think we're seeking for God, we're probably seeking for something that will fulfill us, but we're open to anything. So we're not truly seeking God. Romans 3.12 says, All have turned aside. Together they have become worthless. No one does good. Not even one. Well, if I wasn't seeking God, and I kind of thought I was, how did, how did that really happen? Well, it was God pursuing you. You know, we sing that song, don't we? Pursue. God was pursuing you. And I know that some people teach, well, you can come to Christ at that point in time when God is pursuing you and, and, and this and that. I, I believe God is pursuing you all the time. If you're a non-believer, God, he's not not pursuing you. It's just that you may be pushing down that pursuit. You might be ignoring all the things in your life where he has been trying to direct you to him. Romans tells us that we suppress the knowledge of the truth. It isn't that we don't have it, but that we suppress us. So is God pursuing us? And God giving you the measure of faith. You didn't have that. That wasn't you. You didn't have the faith. God gave you, the Bible says, that measure of faith, the measure of faith that you needed to finally believe and trust in him as he was pursuing you. What did you do? And this is important too. You did one thing. You responded to his call. You received. Now, there are those that teach that you don't even have the free will to do that. I believe that's completely wrong. You received Christ. You responded to his pursuing. You responded to his call because he has given you the measure of faith to do it. Now you've got to ask the question, well, why would God do that? I mean, we were dead in our trespasses and sin. We were rebelling. We were slapping him in the face every time we, we said or did something. Why would God do this? Well, maybe he saw some, uh, what, what's that term they used in that movie? The, the, the light of divinity in me. No. <laughs> no. Maybe he just saw that if I came to, to Jesus, I would... I would be so good, and, you know, there's this good in me. No, it wasn't that. Verse 5 gives us the answer as to why God was pursuing you. It says, it was because of his great love for us and because he is rich in mercy. Not because of your goodness, not because of what you were worth, but of his great love for you and because he's rich in mercy. And Paul gives us verses 8 and 9 here to remind us that this was not of our doing. So let's look at those again. Verses 7, 8, 9, and 10. So that in the coming ages he might show us the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is my own doing? Is that what it says? No. Not your own doing. It is the what? The what? The gift. You don't earn a gift. It's given to you. You receive it. Not as a result of work so that no one may boast. Now, I know you guys have heard that hundreds of times. But do we need to be reminded of that almost on a daily basis? I think so. I, I think we do. We can tend to think it was something about us. And then he says, for we are his workmanship. It is interesting, by the way, that this is... 
Verse 10 is what the ladies have been studying all weekend at the retreat. For we as workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. So you see, lastly here, Paul is now going to take us from the present and speak about our future. Now, don't we always kind of want to know about our future? I mean, there's people that will even go to a fortune teller because they think, I'm going to learn about my future. We all kind of want to know our future. Unless you've seen all three of the Back to the Future movies, and, you know, then you see, oh, my, I don't, maybe I don't want to know about my future. Okay? But I think we always kind of go, what's God's plan? What's in the future? Well, Paul's going to talk about our future in Christ. And in verse 10, he starts off by speaking about our future here in this world. And what does he say about our future in this world? Well, he says our future is a future of good works, works that he has already prepared in advance for us to do. So our future as believers is a future of good works. Now, let me ask you, when you think about your future, is that the way you think about it? Do you say, well, I really want to know what God's got for me in my future. Is it, I wonder what good works God has for me? I wonder what sacrifices God's going to have me do to, to serve my, my fellow man, uh, to bring the gospel? Or do you spend all of your time thinking about your future in terms of what you have now and, and what you need and what you wish you had? You see, that's a pretty big difference, isn't it? And maybe he was like, well, I don't know. I don't know how I think about my future. Well, a way to figure out how you think about your future is to think about when I come to God in prayer, are my requests mostly about my physical needs, about my well-being, about what I have, what I will wear, what I will eat, and what I will drink. And, you know, Jesus said, don't worry about those things. Is that mostly what your prayers are about? Think about your prayer life. What do I ask God when I'm speaking to God? Or instead, do you get up each day and ask God, God, what would you have me to do today? It says here that you have good works planned for me to do. What's that work today? What do you want me to do today that you plan in advance for me? Do you ask him to lead you and guide you by the power of the Holy Spirit, or do you just get up and get going? Now, look, don't get me wrong. I don't do this every day. I don't do it right every day. I think most of us are going to say we don't do that every day. I have some days where I get up, and really all I can think about, and even if it isn't just my own personal well-being and need, it's, you know, I'm always thinking about what someone else may need. But that may be the work that God has for you today, to spend that time in prayer for other people. Paul wrote in Philippians 4, Not that I am speaking of being in need, for I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. See, Paul wasn't concerned about his personal circumstances much. He says, I know how to be brought low, and I know how to abound in, an, in any and every circumstance. I have learned, and this is a key word, I have learned the secret of facing plenty, in other words, having a lot, and I've learned the secret of being hungry. Abundance and need. Now, when we read that, it probably sounds a little bit 
different than the way we approach life each day, doesn't it? See, Paul, didn't, he didn't care about being famous. He didn't care about being rich. He didn't care about having power. He really didn't even care much for his own physical security. He was willing to put his life on the line every day. But what was he praying for? He was praying, God, show me what you want me to do next. And you can read that all throughout the book of Acts. He, he wanted to listen to the Holy Spirit. There were times when he had a plan and the Holy Spirit changed his plan. Do you remember that? And there were times when God just really forced him to go somewhere. He wanted to know what works, God, you have for me and help me to get there and do them. And again, I have to admit, I don't do that all the time. But you know, the interesting thing is that when I do, when I get up in the morning and I sincerely ask God, lead me for today, show me what you want me to do, what good work do you have for me to do today, Lord, that God does reveal that plan as the day unfolds. And when I respond to God's plan, then I'm blessed beyond measure. And I'm just going to give you a couple personal examples. How am I doing on time here? Okay. So um, there's times when you were working here at a church where you talked to only Christians. And, and there are times when I started feeling like, Lord, I haven't shared the gospel with anybody because I'm always here and, you know, doing what I do here with people who are Christians and encouraging them, which is my main ministry. ministry. I know that that's what God's called me to do. But I'll feel really down about that. And so I'll okay, Lord, you got to send somebody my way. And... You know, three or four times when I have prayed that, people have walked into the office here or at the other building who thought they needed counseling for something else, and it comes to find out they're really not believers in Christ, and you're able to share the gospel, the true gospel with them. And there may be someone sitting here this morning that that, that happened to, and they share the gospel with them, and they receive Christ. That's what God does. He answers those kinds of prayers. He wants to. It's in his will to do that. Uh, a couple of weeks ago, as we are continuing to prepare for our move, we began to think, boy, this is going to be a lot of work. And having moved as many times as I have, I know how much work this is going to be. Maybe we should at least look into a moving company and kind of compare what it's going to be like to move ourselves or have somebody move us, right? And somebody reminded me that our neighbor down the street at our old house uh, works for a moving company. So I thought, well, great, I'm going I'm to go talk to him and and find out, you know, is there any possibility? I mean, can we get this somewhere in the ballpark that I won't have to do all this work myself? Well, see, I thought that that was my purpose in going over there that day. But I do believe because when I get up in the morning and go, God, change my plan if you want to. You know, put me somewhere where you want me to be. I get over and, um, you know, go through that first part. And uh, we kind of get talking, and I realize, now nah, this isn't going to happen. It's going to be way too expensive. But because they're our neighbors, and we kind of known a family situation they had, I, I asked them about that family situation. One little sentence. And with both husband and wife, tears began to flow down their, their cheeks to where they could hardly talk. And they began to describe to me what was happening in their family situation. And it was heartbreaking. Just heartbreaking. Um, I, I was there with them for 45 minutes. My wife was, had dinner for me. She was going, where is he? <laughs> but I was with them for 45 minutes just sharing the love of Christ with them, 
they, they are believers, but they needed to know how much God loved them. They needed to know that God was in this situation. They needed to know that their job was to pray for the situation, not try to make something happen. They needed all those things, and God gave me the words to speak to them and the opportunity to pray with them. Um, and they were so amazingly blessed. And I told them, look, I thought God sent me over here to talk about moving, but this is, this is what God does. When you're hurting, and it says the Holy Spirit is your comforter, sometimes the Holy Spirit someone, sends someone to you. Sometimes he just does it in the quietness of your own heart. But sometimes he specifically sends someone to you, and that's what God did today. And, you know, Sean and I know that even though God hasn't revealed his whole plan to us right now, in fact, really the only thing that we know is that we were supposed to go to Prescott, and we know that we're supposed to be involved at the Calvary Chapel there. That is, that's all we know. And you guys that know me know this is really hard for me. <laughs> I like to know what's going on. But God hasn't given us that. But he has asked us to step out on faith and to go. And uh, the one thing we do know that whatever happens, though, we know that we have a future of good works that he has prepared ahead of time for us. And all we're supposed to do is walk in faith and see what he has for us and then do what he's called us to do. You know, I, I would just share with you the desire of my life um, and I don't always do this perfectly by, by any stretch of the imagination, okay? But really, the desire in my life is to use the time I have left in this world to fulfill God's plan of good works. I don't want to miss any of the ones that he has for me. And sometimes I'm like the rest of us. You know, we get in the flesh, and we're tired, and we just go, God, don't give me any more. I just want to rest. Well, sometimes you need that rest, and God will give it to you. But ultimately, you want to be open and available to what God wants to do in your life. And now, as in our future, we're told in verse 7 here that, that God will show us the incomparable riches of his grace. Now, right now, we really just get glimpses of that. You know, for instance, you know, we kind of can see that, that there's a beauty of, of grace in God's salvation because we've come to him. Uh, 1 Corinthians 2.9 and 2.10 says this. But as it is written, I has not seen nor ear heard, nor have entered into the heart of man the things which God has prepared for those who love him. But God has revealed them to us through his Holy Spirit. For the Spirit searches all things, yes, the deep things of God. You see, we can understand that God does have a future for us now that we belong to him. That he does have a plan for our life. I remember that used to be... You know, the four spiritual laws. God loves you and has a beautiful plan for your life. Maybe some of you remember that. It may have sounded trite, but you know what? It's true. He does. He has a wonderful plan for your life. And we know that because it gets revealed by the Holy Spirit. But the thing is, we don't have a complete picture yet. We don't understand all of it yet. 1 Corinthians 13, 12 says, For now we see only reflection as in a mirror. Then we shall see face to face. Now I know in part, then I shall know fully, even as I am fully known. So in the coming ages, in the future, we will come to realize the full riches of his grace. What's meant by that, the riches of his grace? Well, I, I think the basic meaning is this. We can already see God's grace right now for all of us who would believe in salvation. 
that no matter how great our sin was, that God forgives us, he loves us, and wants to bring us into relationship with him. And I think that we can see, and especially those of us that are a little bit older, that every generation that comes along has this same riches and grace, this same ability to receive Christ that we had. And, and what's so cool is when you think about it, every generation, that means more people come into relationship with God. Have you ever thought about that? With every generation, more and more and more and more people come to Christ. Is it as many as we hope? No, but I think when we get to heaven, I, I think that we'll be really astonished at the number of believers that are in heaven. Because we oftentimes look at people and go, oh, they'll never get saved. You know, I, there's no way. Of course, they're looking at you going, oh, those guys will never get saved. You know, I think we're going to be astonished at how many people are in heaven. And we may be somewhat astonished at how many aren't. But more than that, I think as part of the rewards that God has promised to us, is that we are going to see the people in our lives that we affected for Christ. We're going to know that we did something that helped lead them to Christ. Now, we're not going to get egotistical about it because the Bible says we're going to lay our rewards at Jesus' feet. But we're going to go, wow. And we might even think, "What what, what did I do? What did I say? It might have been the smallest, tiniest thing. This little tiny seed that you planted in their life that grew and grew and others watered and somebody finally led them to the Lord. You're going to see that. We're going to see and I think be astonished at the true beauty and majesty and magnificence of the Lord. You know, we sing that a lot, don't we? We use those terms and, and those are scriptural. They're from the Psalms. We're going to really, truly see it and understand it. Now we see partly I think we're going to see the grace that God gives us by giving us resurrection bodies. Yes. Thank you, Jesus. We're going to understand that's part of the grace. We don't have to live in this tent anymore. This one that squeaks and aches and can't do all the things. You know, in my mind, I can still dunk a basketball. If somebody tossed me a basketball, I, I could do this. But my two-inch vertical jump just doesn't quite get there. (laughs) I think the riches of his grace is that we do not any longer have to deal with our sinful flesh nature. Have you really ever thought about that? That there is coming that time when you no longer have to battle with your flesh. You no longer will be tempted by Satan. Can I not hear an amen or a hallelujah? No longer will you have to deal with your flesh saying, eat that donut. It's good for you. No longer will you have things come in your mind even when you're sitting in church and you go, oh my gosh, Lord, where did that come from? That's done. That's gone. It's never going to happen again. That's the riches of God's grace for us. That is something to really look forward to. The work of perfection which Jesus began in us, and Shane was talking about that, that work of perfection, it's finally going to be completed. It's finally going to be done. We'll finally have fulfilled the command of Jesus when he said to us, 
be perfect as I am perfect. And you're going, how's that happen? Well, this is when it happens. We will be perfect. We will be complete. Now, we're not going to be little gods like a lot of the cults teach. But whatever definition Jesus had in mind when he made that statement, that's what we will be. Now, I happen to believe that it means that we're going to finally be sinless in sinless perfection. We're going to be completely obedient to Jesus. And here's one of the best parts. Our worship of him will finally be selfless. And I think we need to understand that. You know, when we worship and we give our hearts over to the Lord, we really want to be selfless. We want it to be all about him, but sometimes it becomes about us, right? Sometimes it becomes about we're sitting in there and going, guys, I sound pretty good today. God, you hearing that? You know? Now, finally, our worship will be perfect. It will be selfless. It will be all about him. And I think it also means this. I think that we'll see that our joy of being with him will be so overwhelming that we don't really care about much else. Now, I know Pastor John, Pastor Michael, and I have oftentimes prayed and asked God, will we be able to play golf in heaven? If we're going to have sinless perfection, I don't think so. Sorry, guys, but... But I think what's going to happen, and, and I, I think what we'll see, and, and it doesn't mean we're just going to, we're not going to just only worship, because the Bible teaches us what we'll be doing other things, but I think our joy that, that we sometimes, you know how sometimes you just, that joy unspeakable, it's so overwhelming, you can't, sometimes the tears just flow, whatever, and it's not tears of sadness, but tears of joy, that will be our constant state in heaven. We will be so filled with joy. And I don't know about you, but that makes me want to shout, Maranatha, come, Lord Jesus. This is what it means to be alive in Christ. To understand what we were, what we now are, and what we have to look forward to. And then, to live our lives according to what we know. We need to live our lives according to what we know. That's how you can have joy no matter what your circumstances are. And I know right in this room right now, there's people going through very difficult circumstances. The truth is probably all of us have some difficult circumstance in our life. But that's how we can have joy in spite of those circumstances. That's how we can be obedient and live for the Lord even in the midst of our own difficulties. And that's how we can love and serve other people even those that are not very lovable. And that's how we can proclaim the gospel to those who maybe even hate and despise us. And that's how we can stand against an ungodly culture in love. Even if it means up giving comforts of life and even if it means having other people hate us, that's how we can do it. So the question for you out here today is are you alive in Christ? If you've received Christ as your Savior, you are alive in Christ today. Let's live like it. Let's act like it. But I think also there may be someone in here that, if you were hearing this, you go, I have no clue what you're talking about here. I thought maybe I did, but maybe I don't. And if that's you here today, then today's your day of salvation. You have that opportunity to receive all those things that we just, just shared about. And I would say to you, if that's you, you're not here by accident this morning. You're here because God wanted to speak to you.